In an interview with Clarity Magazine, writer Anne Lamott tells the story of an experience that she had that in her words totally transformed her life and the way she looked at life. One day, Anne said she was visiting a friend of hers who was battling an aggressive form of cancer and was undergoing some very difficult, strong chemotherapy. Anne walked into her friend's room. Her name was Pam. And after a brief greeting and some small talk, Anne pointed to the dress that she herself was wearing, and she said, Pam, does this dress make me look fat? Anne said Pam looked at her for a long time. And after some uncomfortable moments of silence, Pam said, Anne, you just don't have that kind of time. And Anne said that Pam's response to her in that moment was so profound, it was like somebody hit her over the head with a sledgehammer. There was her friend terminally ill, ravaged by cancer and chemotherapy, emaciated so that she looked like a Holocaust survivor, battling to stay alive, and Anne was worried about whether or not a particular dress made her look fat. And she said, and I quote, I realized the absurdity of what I was thinking and doing, and it totally changed the way I looked at my life, the way I thought about life, the way I lived life. And from that moment on, realized that there really were some things I just didn't have time to do. The Apostle Paul tells us very much the same thing in the text we're looking at this morning from Philippians chapter 1. As we wrap up this chapter, as we continue this study entitled, Life Doesn't Have to Be Perfect to Be Wonderful, we are confronted here this morning with something that is so profound that it absolutely ought to totally change the way we look at life, the way we think about life, and most importantly, the way that we live our lives. Beginning with verse 27 of Philippians chapter 1, let me read these verses. Paul writing says, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. 
experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. Church, this is a strong message if we will hear it. And I pray God will give us those spiritual ears to hear it this morning because Paul is telling us the same thing that Pam was telling Anne, but on a much deeper level. If I'm a genuine follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, then there are some things that I just do not have the kind of time for. I want us to look at those this morning. Here's the first one. Paul, under the authority of God and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells me that if I am a follower of Jesus Christ, I just don't have the kind of time to live a lie. I just don't have the kind of time to live a lie. Do you know what it means to live a lie? Have you heard that expression before? To live a lie means that I pretend to be something that I'm not. To live a lie means that I live in such a way that I hide the truth about myself from other people. In other words, I project an image on the outside but the image that I project on the outside doesn't line up with, it doesn't match what is really on the inside. So when I live a lie, I'm living a life of deception, I'm living a life of dishonesty, I'm living a life of duplicity. Now, I think all of us would understand that this is dangerous on any level, but nowhere is it more dangerous or disastrous than when it begins to show up in my Christian walk. This is such a critical issue that Paul says, really, there is nothing more important than making absolutely sure that the way I live my life lines up with what I say I believe and who I say I belong to. Verse 27 of Philippians chapter 1, the first part, Paul writes and he says, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now I want you to notice the very first word in that verse is the word only. And the position of that word in this verse is very, very important. It is in what we call the crucial, emphatic position in the original Greek language. And whenever you see the word only in that crucial, emphatic position at the very beginning of a sentence, it always points to something that is absolutely essential. I like the way the New Century Version translates this verse for that reason. It, it reads this way. Paul says, only one thing concerns me. Be sure that you live your life in a way that brings honor 
to the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul is saying to us this morning, if there is only one thing I can say to you as a follower of Christ, this is it. If there's only one thing that you really need to remember as a believer, remember this. This is the bottom line in the Christian experience. This is the sum, the circumference, and the substance of all that is required of you as an individual. This is the critical and the crucial concern of the church. This is the one thing that is so important, Paul says, that if you don't get this right, you won't get anything else right. Only this matters. Conduct yourselves in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. Live your life in a way that honors and glorifies Christ, that is consistent with the truths of God's Word. Live your life in such a way that your faith in Christ and your following of Christ is evident in everything that you do. Live in such a way that people see and know that Jesus Christ is the most valuable and precious thing in your life. Nothing is more important than that, Paul says. Here's a secret. shouldn't be a secret. But unfortunately, it seems to be. It is never enough for me to just believe the gospel. Did you know that? It is never enough for me to just believe the gospel. I must live it. It must show up in my life in every area, every arena in which I live and move. I must conduct myself. I must live my life in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. Now, what does it mean to be worthy of the gospel? Well, do you see that word worthy in the original language of the New Testament? Let me tell you what it means. The word worthy literally means to even the beam. To even the beam. It refers to the balancing of a scale. The balancing of a scale. So that the weight on one side matches or is even with the weight On the other side, both sides are the same so that the balance is even. Does that make sense? I put a drawing there for you that I hope will help. In fact, I put several of them in this message guide that I hope will help you remember some things this morning. You can see the scales there. On one side, the left-hand side, is my life my lifestyle, my 
conduct, the way I live my life. On the other side is the gospel of Jesus Christ, who Jesus is, what he stands for, everything that he has done for me, everything that he means to me. So, my way of life on one side, Christ and his gospel on the other side, the question is, do these things balance? Do they balance? In other words, am I living my life in such a way that it gives proper weight to Jesus Christ, who he is, what he says, the place that I give testimony to what he means in my life. Paul says this is critical. Paul says this is crucial. Paul says this is really, in the Christian life, the only thing that matters. Because if we don't get this right, we're not going to get anything else right. I must live my life in a manner that is worthy of the gospel, that demonstrates the value and the worth of Christ and his gospel. That's all that matters. Now, I want to give you a quick grammar lesson this morning as we look at what Paul means to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. There are two words here translated conduct yourselves. Let me, let me walk through this with you grammatically. I don't always do this, but in this case, this is important. I'm not trying to bore you with grammar. I'm trying to show you something here that is critical. This is the difference, I think, between reading your Bible in black and white and reading it in vivid color. Sometimes you've got to dig a little deeper to get the true impact and the meaning of what it says to us. And this is one of those instances where we don't need to be satisfied with the black and white. We need the full-orbed color of what God's Word is telling us. So let me walk through this with you. Number one, when you see the words, conduct yourselves, you need to understand that in the original language of the New Testament, this is written in the present tense. And in the present tense, in the original language of the New Testament, this speaks of continuous action. In other words, a better translation, a more literal translation might be, keep on conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Paul is saying that every single moment of my life, I am to live my life in such a way that it demonstrates the supreme worth of Christ and his gospel. This is to be my daily manner of living, my moment-by-moment -moment manner of living, my ongoing manner of living. There is no time when I don't have to do this. There is no circumstance in which I can opt out of this. It is to be a continuous, ongoing way of life for me. Not only is it written in the present 
tense. It's also written in what we call the middle voice. The middle voice. Now, English has two voices, an active voice and a passive voice. Don't let your eyes glaze over, okay? I'm going to explain this. Here's active voice. I drove to the store. I did it. I took the action. I drove to the store. That's active voice. Passive voice would be if I said something like, I was driven to the store. You with me? Okay, somebody else did the action on my behalf. I was driven to the store. That's passive. In English, that's it. That's the only options you've got. But in ancient Greek, there was what was called a middle voice. Not active, not passive. It's in the middle. Now, I don't want to go into a lot of detail here and really bore you. Let me just say that middle voice is used to describe an action that nobody else can take for me but me. It describes an action that nobody else can take for you except you. This simply means that the responsibility for living my life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, the responsibility for living your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ is your responsibility. It's my responsibility. Nobody else can take that action for me. Nobody else can take that action for you. It is your individual responsibility to live your life every single day in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. Nobody else can do that for you except you. Thirdly, the words conduct yourselves are written in the second person plural. In other words, not you singular, but you plural, y'all, right? All of us. The call to live a life worthy of the gospel. Church is a call that is given to every single one of us. This is not just for the preacher. This is not just for the missionary. This is not just for the person that we might want to put up on a pedestal and say, well, that person is is super spiritual. No, this is for every believer in every church, in every location, in every generation. This is for you. And then finally, it is in the imperative mood, which simply means this is a command. We need to understand Paul is not making a suggestion here. He's not voicing a wish or some whimsical desire as if he were saying, you know, it would be nice if you would live your life this way. No, he's saying, do this. There is absolutely no room for debate here. This is not optional. This is not for us to think about. This is not for us to meditate on. This is not even for us to pray about. 
This is a clear, unequivocal command. Paul says, do it. Conduct yourself. Live your life. Every moment, without exception, in a way that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. Do you understand what God requires of you this morning? Do you see that that this is laid at the feet of every single one of us? Every step I take in this world, every word I utter, every thought I think, every decision that I make, every action or reaction that I demonstrate, everywhere I am and everywhere I go, I am to conduct myself, I am to live my life in a manner that demonstrates the incredible worth of the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel that saved me. Now let me say a quick word here about integrity. A lot of different definitions of integrity, but for me, integrity simply means that I am undivided. I'm undivided. I'm the same no matter what. What you see on Sunday morning is the same thing you see on Saturday night. What you see when I'm sitting in a worship service or a life group is the same thing that you see when I'm sitting behind that desk in the office. That's integrity. It means I don't compartmentalize my life. It's all the same all the time. And when Paul wrote to the Philippians and said, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, he told them, watch this. Look at, the la- look at uh, verse 27, uh, the second part there. Paul said, I want you to do that. Whether I come and see you, or whether I remain absent. Paul said, you should do this whether I'm there or not. You should do this whether I'm watching you or not. See, Paul founded the church at Philippi. He was the spiritual father of these believers. They would have done anything to please Paul. They loved Paul, and if Paul had been there, they would have done everything within their power to demonstrate that they were wanted to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. But Paul wasn't there. He was in prison. And he makes it very clear here. It doesn't matter whether he was there or not. It doesn't matter if anybody is watching or not. The question is, does it make any difference in the way you live your life if you know nobody's watching? Or does it make any difference in the way you live your life if you know certain people aren't watching? If you know the preacher isn't watching? (laughs) If you know your Christian friends aren't watching, if you know the members of your life group aren't watching, kids, if you know your parents aren't watching, parents, if you know your kids aren't watching, does it make any difference? You see, integrity is how I live and it is what I do when I know nobody else is watching or when I know certain people 
aren't watching. See, a lot of us know how to act. A lot of us know how to, how to, if we're Christians, we know how to act. We know how to live our lives when we're in church or when we're with our church friends or when we're at the Bible study or in the life group. But what about when you're not surrounded by other Christians? What about when you're not in church? See, Paul makes it very clear. It doesn't matter whether someone's watching or not watching. Wherever you are, whether it's at home, in the office, in the car, at school, when you're cut off from your spiritual leaders, when you're away from Christian fellowship, when none of those folks are watching, are you still living a life that demonstrates the supreme worth of of Jesus Christ and his gospel. That is integrity. And Paul says, that is how I must live my life. As a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ church, I just do not have the kind of time to live a lie. That time is too precious. It is too valuable. There is too much God needs to do in and with and through my life. I just do not have the kind of time to live a lie. God's Word says every single moment, every single day, in every single circumstance, in every single venue, I must always continually live my life in a manner that is worthy of the gospel so that what I see in my life and what other people see in my life demonstrates the supreme worth of Jesus Christ. I just don't have the kind of time to live a lie. Secondly, Paul says, as a follower of Jesus, I just don't have the kind of time to try to get the world to approve of me. I just don't have the kind of time to try to get the world to approve of me. Now listen, we all want approval, don't we? I mean, I would, most of us want approval. We want the approval of our friends. We want the approval of our family members. We want the approval of our coworkers. We want the approval of the people that, that are around us. We want people to like us. We want them to include us. We want them to say nice things about us. We we want them to want to be around us. And I don't think in and of itself that is wrong. But I do need to say this to you. Jesus did not save you. He did not save me and transform me and you so that we would spend our lives consumed with a desire for the approval of other people. If you are a follower of Christ, you just do not have that kind of time. There is only one kind of approval that you need to be worried about. There is only one kind of approval that I need to be worried about, and that is the approval of God. In fact, if you're consumed or I'm consumed with the approval of anyone or anything else other than God, then it means we have not understood the Christian life at all. At all. And Paul makes that very, very clear here in a couple of images that he uses in verse 
27. The first image is that of a soldier. Paul says, look at these verses, or this part of verse 27. Paul says, I want to hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. Now those words translated standing firm, that comes from a military term that literally means to hold your ground in battle. To hold your ground in battle. It paints the picture of a soldier who has been positioned at the very front lines and he must hold that position. He must not give up that position no matter how strong or how powerful the attacks and the assault of the enemy may be. Now, Paul, Paul, we've seen Paul use already a lot of military imagery in this letter, and the reason for it is because we need to understand something very, very important. I thought about how to say this. I can't, I can't think of any better way to say it than this. And I don't mean to be offensive. But we have got to understand, if we are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Christian life is not a playground. It is a battleground. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, when you ask Him to come into your life, and you're serious about that, you're going to be attacked by all kinds of antagonistic philosophies and opposing worldviews. You're going, to, you're going to face fierce resistance from the ungodly values and morals of the culture. You're going to be surrounded by those who are going to want to assault your Christian convictions and attack your spiritual foundations. You'll face the constant onslaught of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And I can't give ground to any of those, those enemies. There can be no giving in to temptation. There can be no compromise with sin. There can be no weakening of my testimony. I have to stand firm. I have to hold my ground. There can be no reverse gear in me. got to understand that life, the Christian life, is not a playground. I don't frolic through it. This is serious business. It is a battleground. I am a soldier in a war. And let me tell you something. If you live your Christian life treating a battleground like it is a playground, that is a recipe for disaster. I, I just don't have time to try to get the world to approve of me. I'm in a fight. I am in a battle. Second thing Paul says here is, not only does he, he want us to stand firm in one spirit, but he also says, look at this, I want you to strive together for the faith of the gospel. Now that, that word strive or contend, some translations say 
I want you to contend together for the faith of the gospel. That comes from a Greek word. I want to I pronounce it for you and see if you can hear something in it. The word is athleo. Athleo. Can you hear that it is the same word from which we get our English word athlete and athletics? This word means to strain to win the prize. And it refers to an effort that requires great perseverance and incredible determination if you want to be victorious and win the prize. Paul also uses a lot of athletic imagery in his writings. And he does that because we need to understand we're not just in a great battle, we're in a great contest between righteousness and unrighteousness, godlessness and godliness. And it it, it matters, church. It matters desperately who wins. This is why Paul wrote a little further over in Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, and he says, This one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what is ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. Do, do you hear what Paul is saying here? He's saying, I'm a soldier in a battle and I cannot give any ground to the enemy. I've got to stand firm. I'm an athlete in a contest and my goal is to be victorious. My goal is to win the prize. So I've always got to be striving toward that goal. I just don't have the kind of time to try to win the approval of the world. I am focused on winning the approval of God. I don't have the kind of time to live a lie. And I don't have the kind of time to try to get the world to approve of me. There's a third thing. Paul tells me that I just don't have the kind of time to be afraid of suffering for the sake of Christ. I don't have the kind of time to be afraid of suffering for the sake of Christ. Look at these words again. Paul says, I don't want you to be any, in any way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. Very something very significant. There's a lot here, but just a couple of significant things I want to point out to you. When Paul says to you it has been granted, he is using a word that is also the root word from which we get our English word grace. Grace is God's unmerited favor. God, grace is God's free gift. So when Paul says to you it has been granted, we could just as easily translate, for to you it has been gifted. God has given you a gift. Two gifts are mentioned here, as a matter of fact. Two gifts that God gives his children. The first gift is the gift of believing in Christ. Do you see that? For to you it has been granted, it has been gifted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him. So you've been given the gift of believing in Christ. Today, if you're a Christian and you're sitting here, then God has given you the gift of hearing the gospel. 
He has given you the gift of being able to receive the gospel, and he has given you the gift of being able to respond to the gospel in faith and believe it. Salvation is God's gift to you and to me. But there's a second gift here. It is the gift that nobody wants. Paul says it has been gifted to you for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. And these are twin gifts. They are inseparably bound together. No one gets the first gift, believing, without also getting the second gift, suffering. It is a package deal. And please note something here. This is suffering, Paul says, that is for Christ's sake. He's not talking about a migraine headache here. He's not talking about a toothache. He's not talking about having a flat tire or a tough day at the office. Paul is talking about suffering for the gospel. He's talking about suffering for the sake of Christ because you publicly identify with him. You publicly identify with his word. You publicly identify with his ways. You just need to understand, if you commit yourself to conduct yourself, to live your life in a way that it puts on open display the unrivaled worth of Christ and his gospel, if you resolve that you're going to stand firm and deny ground to the enemy like a good soldier, if you determine you're going to strive mightily to win this race and to gain this prize like a good athlete, I can promise you, You're going to face opposition. You're going to face suffering. But look at what Paul says here. Don't be alarmed. Don't be frightened in any way by this. Why? Why should we not be afraid to suffer for Christ's sake? Two reasons. Number one, and you may not realize this, but suffering for Christ reveals spiritual reality. Do you know that? Suffering for Christ reveals spiritual reality. Paul says, look at the verses. Paul says, this is a sign. Suffering is a sign. Opposition is a sign. A sign of what? What does it say? It is a sign of destruction for them, your opponents, but it is a sign of salvation for you. In other words, you can be sure of two things. Whenever you face opposition and suffering for the cause of Christ, you can be sure, number one, that you're going to heaven You can be sure, number two, that your opponents are going to hell. Now, please don't be put off by the sober realism and the starkness of these words. That is precisely the meaning of this verse. True Christians will be proved to be true. Genuine Christianity will be proved to be genuine 
by the quality of your opposition. Listen, if no one ever criticizes you or opposes you, if you don't ever make waves because of your faith, if everybody's just fine with your Christianity all the time, well then, my friend, something is wrong either with your Christianity or something is wrong with the people around you. Because real Christianity always brings real opposition and suffering. It reveals spiritual reality. So one reason not to be afraid of suffering is because it reveals the reality of your faith. It's number one. Number two, the second reason not to be afraid of suffering is because it results in Christ's glory. How does it result in Christ's glory? Well, because when we suffer for Christ's sake, we show the world that He is really more precious than our comfort. We declare to the world that He's really more valuable than our safety and our security. We demonstrate to the world that He's worth more than popularity and possessions, prestige. We prove to the world that He is infinitely more precious than anything else, even life itself. As a follower of Christ, there are just simply some things I just do not have time for. I just don't have the time to live a lie. I've been called to live my life in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. I just don't have the kind of time to try to win the approval of the world. I'm a soldier in a battle. I'm an athlete in a contest, and I want to win the prize. And I just don't have the kind of time to be afraid of suffering for the sake of Christ. It is my way of demonstrating to the world that there is nothing in this world more important more valuable, more precious than He is. Church, you just don't have that kind of time. I want you to bow your heads with me this morning. As we go to the Father, as we come to this time of reflection, commitment, Would you examine your own life? Would you examine your own heart? Would you ask yourself the question, have you been wasting time? Squandering time on things that you just don't have the kind of time for? The time that God has given us at His longest is short. It is incredibly valuable and intensely precious. He deserves all of it. All of it. Heavenly Father, quietness of these moments, we come to you. We ask you to help us. Because we can become so easily distracted, so easily diverted. God, would you call us again? Would we hear 
the voice of your spirit saying, live your life in a way that demonstrates the incredible worth of Christ and His gospel. Continuously. In every place. All the time. Would we hear you say to us this morning, we're in a battle, we're in a contest. We're like a soldier who can't give up an inch of ground. We're like an athlete who has to strive and strain to win the prize. We just don't have the kind of time to to court the favor, the approval of the world. God, we surely don't have the time to be worried, to be afraid, to draw back from the face of suffering for Christ's sake. There's no other way we can demonstrate more powerfully that He is more precious to us than anything, even life itself. So Lord, in these moments, help us to get a hold of our time, to manage it well. For your honor and glory is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to invite you to join me in standing, if you would. We're going to sing together. These altars are open. If God's spoken to you in any way this morning, I encourage you to come and pray and make make that commitment to the Lord. If I can pray with you, I'll be here to do that. If I can encourage you in some way, your time as we sing, you come as God speaks to your heart right now.